From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 188 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm, you know, we were talking before the show. We're recording on the day before St. Patrick's Day. So I made my corned beef and cabbage um, on Sunday and had some. I have enough to feed a clan. And then, and I made less than usual. And I have my Irish soda bread and all that. And so on St. Patrick's Day, I'm all set to sit down and savor it with a beer. And I have a Guinness cooling in the fridge and and a bass ale for the english side of me <laughs> and then um and i'm gonna watch darby o'gill and the little people that's that's the way to do it so i have uh i have uh, my plans to throw uh, throw some irish guinness stew together on saint patrick's mm-hmm. day and then also of course have a little bit of guinness and well if i run out then there's always jameson on the backup, uh, <laughs> so I can keep the Irish theme going. But I, you know, I, and of course I will watch Darby O'Gill. But yeah, I have no Irish in me. I think I think I maybe have like a, one of those embarrassing amounts, like one sixteenth. So I I have no claim to the holiday. I just I enjoy appreciating a good random holiday that most likely a lot of Americans have taken and making it made it their own and. It's lost so much of the meaning. So hey, it's always fun. Yeah, there, there were, <laughs> there were, there was a bowling branch of the family in Ireland. Most left during the potato famine, but there are a few left. But the bulk of the families in England and the United States. Yeah. So, so I feel okay. I still get to celebrate. I, I'll <laughs> allow it. Yeah. All of us listening to the show have some semblance of gratitude to Walt Disney and his mouse that started it all. We may be grateful for all the enjoyment his films and theme parks have given us. These experiences may have brought us closer to families and friends or gotten us through difficult times in our lives. For many of us, this has been a source of inspiration and fun. For others, it has been a source of employment and not just those employed by the company, the studio, and the theme parks. There is a whole industry of authors, artists, travel agents, vloggers, and bloggers, and podcasts, like all those on the Dis Unplugged Network, which are sponsored by Dreams Unlimited Travel, which specializes in planning Disney vacations. Disney fans know about D23, the official Disney fan club that really caters to the Disney fans who want to know what goes on behind the scenes and how the magic is created. However, I've participated in a few adventures that have challenged my knowledge of the theme parks, Disney history, and the Walt Disney Family Museum, and my brain. 
even the most hardcore Disney fans will find this experience we're talking about on this show exhilarating, frustrating, and exhausting. (laughs) And that is Mouse Adventure, put on by Third Gate Games. According to their website, Mouse Adventure is part scavenger hunt, part road rally, part trivia challenge, and a team-based competition that guarantees you will never look at Disney theme parks in the same way again. I have found every aspect of Mouse Adventure intriguing, and I don't mean the puzzles that participants have to unravel that would confound Agatha Christie's foremost detective, Hercule Poirot. I am intrigued by how those who create these puzzles think. So here to talk about Mouse Adventure is Stephanie Wren from Third Gate Games. Stephanie is responsible for social media and communication and also helps to create the puzzles for Mouse Adventure. And Joe Stevano, the president of Third Gate Games, who also creates, I've been told, many of the puzzles that we've come to enjoy and, and maybe even dread. Um, Stephanie and Joe, welcome to Connecting with Walt. Thank you so much. Hi, thank you. Good to be You're here. Welcome. Also joining us is my colleague from the Diz Unplugged podcast, Disneyland Edition, Mary Jo Mulatto Willie. Mary Jo has participated in several mouse adventures, and I've joined Mary Jo's team, the Green Boa Divas. I think that's the team's name. Mm-hmm. On a mouse adventure at Disney California Adventure and Mouse Adventure in a Box. Mary Jo and I were also team Merry Mouseketeers at both mouse adventures held at the Walt Disney Family Museum. Mary Jo, welcome back to Connecting with Walt. Thank you. And hi, Joe, and hi, Stephanie. So glad to talk to you. Stephanie and Joe and Mary Jo, many of our listeners most likely have never heard nor experienced mouse adventures. How would each of you describe it? I'll, um, I'll ask, go ahead. Yeah, by starting? Uh, yeah, go ahead, this Stephanie, Stephanie. You, you can start. Um, yeah, so I, I, uh, for me, it's, um, it, it, it's all about the details, right? So like theme parks are full of details and a lot of those go unnoticed. Um, and so the fun thing about mouse adventure, I started out as a player, um, you know, back in the early two thousands. And, um, you know, to me, it was just fun to be able to go to the parks and experience them in a different way. And I'm really into puzzles. So, um, you know, it's, it's about noticing things that maybe you didn't notice before, um, and, you know, using your problem solving skills to figure out how to find the answer and move on, move on or, um, you know, answer the question. So it's, it's great for puzzle people and it's great for Disney people. So Joe, what about you? How would you yeah. describe it to somebody who knows nothing about a mouse adventure? Yeah, we've, we've struggled with this for years cause it is, it is kind of a weird combination of, of several things. Um, the, the best explanation that I give people nowadays is that it's like doing an escape room, but inside of a theme park. (laughs) So we are using, as Steph said, we're using elements that are, that are in the park thematically, um, to build puzzles around, uh, and in playing them, you will notice things that you've never seen before. We have We've had people that go to the park 
quite often and and were constantly told I never noticed X, Y, or Z until we played the game. Um, and so it's a whole different way to to experience the park and to play in the park um, with other people that enjoy uh, uh, the Disney theming and and puzzles and a little bit of friendly competition. Mm-hmm. So and, and you know that's so true because you know I participated in one of the ones with Mary Jo and her team at Disney California Adventure. There are still places I walk, when I pass them by, I think of the puzzle that was associated <laughs> with that location, and I'll even go and look at some of the things again that we had to look at for that particular puzzle. So and and I have to tell you. In the awards room in the lobby of the Walt Disney Family Museum, I still cringe <laughs> when oh, I walk in there. <laughs> Based on a on a on a puzzle that will live in infamy <laughs> for me. <laughs> and now Mary Jo, as a player, a uh, multiple times, how would you describe Mouse Adventure? I would describe Mouse Adventure as it's Definitely, it's a, it, to me, it's a quest because it's a multi-level quest where you're, and this is definitely for people who've already been to the parks and are planning on only doing puzzle solving between certain hours of the day because there's, there's no time to do anything else. Um, so this is, again, you're, you're given packets of quests and it's a thorough exploration of the park and you're looking at it in a different discerning way to answer these quests that will give you the final question that you need to respond to within that area wherever you're you're um, looking for the different answers and it's like joe said it's really hard to explain because that doesn't even explain part what what we're going through when we get them um, I, I will say that there's this anticipation that, you know, we, we get to the parks early um, before we meet. And I'm sure Stephanie and Joe will, will give the structure of how the day goes out. But we get there early. We're ready to go. We have our breakfast because we have learned through the years that you have to nourish your body before you get started. Because um, for people, we're, we're pretty competitive, even though we know that we're not going to we're not going to win. And so people ask me well, then why do you play? And it's the sheer fun of spending time with your friends to discover new things about Disney that this cool group of people have put together for us to do. It's a fun way to play in the parks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. And it's and and it's it's like the thrill of the hunt. Yeah. When you're playing. I mean this <laughs> too. It's like, can we figure this out? And there and there's a strategy, what order you should do it in, and um, you know, yeah. who's better at what so that they take the lead in your team. They might take the lead on this one particular puzzle because it's it's more in their skill set than perhaps another one. And you know. And you folks, if you go in thinking, I'm going to do this because I know the park's like the back of my hand, I'm going to ace this, you can think again. Because I practically live at the Walt Disney Family Museum. I was absolutely positive this is going to be a no-brainer for me. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I I don't even think we finished the first one. (laughs) 
So, and um, it, it's it's a challenge. It's but it's a fun challenge. So, Joe and Stephanie, how did Mouse Adventures originate? How, how did you ever get an idea for something like this? So, so um, way way back in uh, the late '90s, there were news groups that people would would um, jump onto and and communicate on. And there were a group of people that would meet up at the park on Sunday afternoons and hang out all together. Um, this was before my time uh, with Mouse Adventure, but but that group of people got together and played um, what would be an early incarnation of Mouse Adventure and what would later grow into be Mouse Adventure. And it was just a friendly game with, I think there were 10 or 12 teams playing that at that time. Um, just a fun day at the park. No no prizes, just, you know, just to hang out together. Um, I played my first Mouse Adventure in 2001. Um, I don't remember I, I can't recall how we found out about it. I was living up in Northern California at the time. Um, we had annual passes, and we would come down to to Disneyland a few times a year for fun. And uh, uh, my friends David and Amanda joined me, and we played, um, I think it was in 2001, and had no idea what we were getting ourselves into and ended up doing very, very well. It wasn't until... Um, I think it was, uh, 2016 that we, um, or I'm sorry, 2006 that we started to work on the game. And then in, uh, 2016, um, uh, Steph and I, and our friends, Chris and David, um, got together and formed third gate games and purchase Mouse Adventure, and so now we run it through Third Gate Games. Okay, I was wondering what it, I was wondering what is Third Gate Games' relationship with Mouse Adventure. So, what is Third Gate Games? So, so when we when we decided that we wanted to, um, we had some discussions. It, it was becoming more and more difficult to run the game um, through. Uh, th- it became more and more difficult to run the game as we had done it in the past. And so we formed uh, a separate company and in doing so had discussions about doing games at other locations, not just in the parks and not just Disney focus. So we've done um, studio adventures at uh, Universal Studios Hollywood. We've done that uh, twice now. Um, We have up until we all went to work from home and the parks closed, um, we had plans to do an event at uh, Knott's Berry Farm. So um, Third Gate allows us to kind of separate out uh, uh, the Disney parks as one of many formats that we play. Okay. okay. So when you're, how many people work on planning a mouse adventure and, and, do they all have different roles? Because what I, what I really want to know is this. I want you to walk us through the process for planning a mouse adventure. You know, it's day one. You say, okay, we are here. We are all gathered here today to plan a mouse adventure. What is that like? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it, it kind of, it, 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 we could say it depends, but it also, um, for, for the different events. So we pretty much are all involved, all four of us. Um, There's only the, four just, people planning all this? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm just the four of us. Seriously impressed. We, <laughs> we, we, we sometimes draft family members. <laughs> and then, um, you know, we, we, we get some friends, family and friends to help us when we need to like test out the puzzles before we, uh, before we are finalized. But, um, for the California events, since Joe and Chris are, uh, local to the area, they're generally the, the ones that are leading that, um, writing effort. So, um, I don't know if you want to go through that, Joe, like it, it takes, it's a little more, it, we have a little more time on our side, generally speaking, because you can kind of come and go to the park, you know, over the weekends. Yeah, I I would say that for Disney for Disneyland, I personally I find it a more relaxing um, process to develop the game because Chris and I go in and we start wandering around the park months before the actual game, knowing that there's something coming up and we got to start looking for ideas and and um, and all of that and. Not only are we looking for ideas inside the park, but we're we're always trying to come up with new puzzles that that can be implemented in the game. Um, and so then then you it gives us time to kind of let those seeds germinate um, over the you know over a couple of months before it, it gets down to the wire where we have to start writing. Um, Disney World is a completely different beast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So at Disney World, basically, it's like a commando expedition to write the game. So we we plan typically for our spring events. We'll go in the late January timeframe for a, a long weekend, and we'll just go and basically we know ahead of time what park we're going to be writing for, um, and generally we'll have come up with a theme idea before that as well. So we'll kind of have a, a frame of reference in our heads, like, okay, this is our theme, um, you know, and then looking at the data around that theme. Um, but basically, you know, we fly in, um, we have Saturday, Sunday, and then maybe Monday morning. And then, so we fly in generally on a Friday and then fly out on a Monday. If we're lucky, we have maybe a five day weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that during taking, that time yeah we're, and during we're that taking time, million photos okay. we're taking photos of everything because we only have one chance to get it right um and we're we're kind of framing out collecting the data framing out sort of the general concept of the puzzle and then we come home and then we have the time from january to march typically when our game has been in the spring in florida um, to formulate that and, and distill it down to what, what the game will be in Florida. Okay. And then how do you determine the type of puzzles that you're going to have? What, what <laughs> drives that? So, so now early on before, um, before Chris and Steph and David became, um, 
what I would say trained in my shorthand of how to write a quest. <laughs> um, it was really difficult because we'd go into an area, you'd, you'd walk down Main Street. And like for me, I'm looking at, I'm looking at strange details that I may not have noticed before or something that has a repeating, um, a repeating element. Um, like uh, the shops on Main Street, especially at Walt Disney World, the signs on the shops all have little flourishes at the end of the word. It might be a little petal, it might be a little flower, it might be leaves, but they're, they're all unique and they almost all have them. So we'll look at that and say, okay, well, we can do something with that, but what, what's gonna be the final question? What is unique on, on Main Street that people may not have noticed before or what is new or um, what is something that might be obvious if you're looking for it, but kind of hidden in the details if you're not. Um, and we'll build a question around that. And at Walt Disney World, that's kind of all we'll do. And so we'll collect all of that data and we'll bring it back home. And then we'll look at that and we'll say, okay, well, we can, we can make this, we can do it as a crossword. We can do it as a fill in the blank. We can do it as, you know, these are all the puzzle ideas that work with this kind of, of data, and we'll pull that together. Um, but as you can imagine, early on, it was kind of exhausting because I'd walk down the street and I'd say, oh, well, we can do this and this and this, and we'll do it like a drop down, or we'll do it like a this, and we've given these, these names to these puzzles. Mm -hmm. And the three of them would kind of look at me like I was speaking a completely different language. Um, now, and correct me if I'm wrong, Steph, but now I feel like we walk into the park together and someone goes, oh, look, this is something that's interesting. And we all four kind of fall into this, oh yeah, and we can use this over here and we can use that. And how about this over here? And we can make it look like this. And so it's now it's much more like a, a, a collaborative effort for each one of the puzzles that we build. At Disneyland, with it's just Chris and I, um, the same thing happens, but again, because we have the luxury of time, we'll go in and we'll, you know, we'll write one quest and we'll kind of wander around three other areas. And it's not unusual for us to, you know, walk into Toontown and kind of stare at each other for 30 minutes going, I, I have, I have no idea what, what we're going to do here. And then, <laughs> and then some, like the most random thing will happen. I, you know, we'll, We'll get in line, we'll get in the queue for a ride, or um, we'll order a, a drink, or, you know, we'll watch two kids play in an area, and it'll kind of, oh, well, we could do this. How about this? You know, that kind of a thing. So sometimes it's just being in the environment long enough for it to, for the inspiration to hit. So and and the puzzles you come up with are just amazing because you know sometimes you use rulers you have different measuring things and these just these deciphering codes I, and I wheels. I really know how you figure out what tools to use. I mean, mm -hmm. you've had things where like you have a disc that has <laughs> letters around it with lines, different colors, and you have to figure out. And then you you rotate this disc on a sheet of paper after you figure out how you're supposed to use it, how do you guys come up with those types of, of ideas to use these tools? 
we are constantly on the lookout for ways to encode and uh, different different puzzles from different countries, from um, literally from all over. It's not unusual for for Steph and I to text one another with, "Hey, look at this! Is this something that we could use for a possible puzzle?" Or um, in the case of like the disc that that you're speaking about, that came from an article that I was reading online about the Enigma machines that the Germans used in World War II and the at Bletchley Park, the gift store sells something that is very reminiscent of that device. And I simplified it down to be used in Mouse Adventure. But that's where that comes from. So yeah, I think we, like, yeah, we're, we're constantly like, we, we do a lot of other people's puzzles too. Um, and so, you know, to get, to get different ideas about, um, you know, different kinds of, I mean, we call them mechanics, which is basically kind of the, the nuts and bolts of how a puzzle is put together. So, um, you know, and basically to get inspiration for, for something, cause we do like, we have sort of like our standard set of puzzles that we use, but we also try to mix in some new and different things for the players that have been playing you know, for a bunch of years so that we can keep people on their toes. Now, what gave you the idea of adding the Walt Disney Family Museum to your repertoire? And did your strategy change when planning a mouse adventure there? Yeah, I think, yeah, sure, I can take it. Um, Yeah, I think it was one of the main reasons was because David and I are both local to the Bay Area. So it was kind of like, oh, well, this is one that David and I can take the lead on and, you know, take take the time like Joe and Chris do at Disneyland to sort of come up with some different ideas over a longer period of time um, than, you know, just a cram session. Um, also, I think just because, you know, we knew that a lot of the, the of, of our players um, who are on West Coast residents uh do enjoy the the family museum and have been before or have been meaning to go so um for us it was kind of like okay this is a new kind of concept um how can we deal with a more uh you know limited environment but you know data rich obviously museums are there are other you know companies that are similar to third gate games that do this kind of event in other museums in different parts of the country. So it was kind of like, Hey, maybe we could try that. Um, and for us, we did, um, work with the museum people just because we figured it would be harder for us to kind of just go rogue (laughs) with this, with the limited space. Um, and, you know, so we kind of talked about, Hey, can, you know, can we do this as a, an exclusive event or, you know, a mix-in? How are we going to handle it? Um, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were sensitive to, to their concerns. Um, you know, definitely the first time around, they were a little worried. I think they were a little worried. So we limited the team size. Normally, it's a two to four players. And for the museum, it just made sense to make the teams two players just because of this, the space limitations. And generally, if you're, if you have a team of four, you're trying to all look at one around one 
you know, display case, it's pretty difficult to be able to, for everyone to be able to see what you're looking at. So, um, you know, I think that that was one way that our, our strategy changed. Um, and it was kind of nice to, to be able to work with a group that, um, you know, the museum after, after our first event, they were, they were really excited to, um, you know, to have another one, uh, after the first success, they were, you know, all our players were very considerate and, you know, they weren't running through the museum <laughs> like <laughs> crazy people. So, um, yeah, I think it, it went really well. It was, it was a nice, nice way to, to introduce people who hadn't been to the museum and also people who had been there before to, you know, notice different things that they might not have looked at. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I thought it was pulled off very well. Um, what are, what are the Disney parks attitude towards mouse adventure? I mean, how do you work with them? Um, I think, well, well, two things. So, um, obviously we're an unofficial event at the, at the Disney parks and the, um, our interactions with, uh, the parks are different on on each of the coasts. So um, Disneyland is obviously m more concerned when it comes to crowding and um, large groups of people in the park. Uh, you know, not necessarily just riding rides and, and eating food. Um, and we've been doing it long enough now that when we write the games, especially at Disneyland, we are hyper aware of how many people can we get in this area and how congested are we going to make this? And, you know, we're not going to send all of our teams on, um, you know, uh, Alice in Wonderland. Um, and so we, we are very, very aware of those, um, of those things. Now, sometimes, teams misinterpret what we've written on a quest and suddenly we have teams going into star tours that we didn't expect or we have you know teams getting in line for space mountain that shouldn't be um and we we deal with that on game day um at walt disney world um they couldn't be happier they are they are so accommodating it's amazing um again we're hyper aware of where we can send people and how crowded areas can be. But they have been uh, one of the events we started at, at Magic Kingdom. We started at the um, TTC and they held an entire boat for us. So the wow. entire boat was mouse adventure players to get across the lake. And that was totally fun because our first quest started on the boat. <laughs> So, um, so that made that fun and special. Um, Disney World just has the the luxury of size that allows us to do that kind of stuff and makes them more accommodating. Um, but like Steph said, even at the museum, we were we were very aware that you know we didn't want to give teams stickers or we wanted to make sure that teams were aware not to write on on top of the cases or against the glass and. Um, and our teams are great. Our players are fantastic, and and they are very mindful of that as well when they're playing. I think part of it is the way you you start off the games. Um, you're you're very diplomatic, but you, but the whole team tells all of the play is very um, communicates very well on how respectful everybody needs to be of the parks and the fellow guests. 
I mean, and we all know don't run and be respectful. Don't, don't crowd in stores. I mean, there are certain rules and you not only have them written down, you go through and you explain it to everybody um, how to do that. But can you explain how you go about um, making sure that the players don't all crowd in one place when we start the game? <laughs> what your strategy is? <laughs> so Never give the Main Street quest first. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's, that, that's interesting. So that's an interesting story as well as how we... Um, how teams approach the actual game and the order that they play it in. So um, back when back when David and Amanda and I played, um, they always had some kind of a captain scatter, and so just the captains would go and do a puzzle, and that was how the scatter started. And it was something Amanda was always our captain, and so David and I felt completely. I mean, imagine the game starting, and for the first 20 minutes, half an hour, you're not doing anything. You're just waiting for your captain to return. So we wanted to devise a way that everyone would be involved and we could keep people spread out so that everyone would choose a, a different first quest. And so we came up with the idea of scatters and breaking the players all up into smaller groups, the teams into smaller groups, so that there may only be 10 teams with you when you start. And that's enough, that's, that allows enough spreading a, across the teams to prevent crowds from, from forming. Now, most of the time that that works. Every now <laughs> and then, um, we... You know, you hit a hot day and we have a quest that's indoors in air conditioning. All the teams are going to be in there at, at 2.30, 3 o'clock. Animation at Station the, was a favorite. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. The little, the kawaii exhibit in, in Japan at Walt Disney World was another favorite. And we filled that place. Um, and then, you know, when things like that happen, we are constantly keeping tabs on where the teams are, how, how teams are doing, you know, if quests are broken, whatever the case may be, but we very much pay attention to where teams are crowding and if there's anything that we can do to alleviate that, because it's not fun for the team. It's not, it's not fun for the players and it's not fun for the day guests. So the more that we can alleviate that, the better off everybody is. And then in terms of what quest you start on, this was something that was very interesting that um, took us a while to get a handle on. So, our quest, there's there's generally multiple um, difficulty levels within a game. And you'll probably have one or two super easy, and you'll have one or two that are much more difficult, and then there's a few in the middle, right? What we have found is teams that, whatever whatever quest you start on, doesn't matter which one it is, whichever one you start the day on generally will be one of your easiest quests, and by the end of the day, when everyone's exhausted and you're getting close to turn-in time, um, that quest will be the most challenging. And it was shocking to us because, obviously, we test the games, we test the puzzles, we test them in different orders on different days with different people. And it was fascinating to us to watch a team that 
you know, started with a very difficult quest and just like breezed right through it. They were done in half an hour. And for them to be on an easy quest at the end and just struggle with it. And yet the next day we test it again in the reverse. And it's the complete opposite. It's, it's, it's really an eye opener that whatever you do before lunch, before noon mm-hmm. is generally those quests generally go quicker and easier. I think sometimes well, you- be- people, because people are anticipating that qu- quests are going to be more difficult. I think a lot of us tend to overthink some of the, the uh, quests also. Um, I know that, that the team I'm on that, that we, we play on tends to do that and, Oh, you know what? And, and we'll go get a hint. So why don't you explain your hints also? Oh yes. So, and that's another one that was, I think it was challenging um, for David, Chris and Steph at first to be able to like, when I see a team walk up to me, I can tell what their level of frustration is. Both <laughs> uh, in the way that they present what the what the problem is that they're having and the question that they would like answered. And I think now we're all very well well versed at it because you you know as as a player, I want enough of a hint so that I can move forward, but I don't want anyone to tell me the answer. Like, right. I want that success on my own. And so we try to provide that to the teams when they come in for a hint. And like I said, we can tell if it's, if it's a family that's in, in complete meltdown, then you help them more to get them on the right path. And you're not quite as coy with, with the hint that you give. Whereas a team that kind of comes up and they're a little more bubbly about it and they just can't get past it that might be a team where we'll just say, well, why don't you read this to me? Or what, what do you think you should be doing here so that we can, uh, we can kind of figure out which way to give them a little nudge in the right direction. I also think too, that we see different teams. We see teams that they'll grab a quest and they're not going to let that go until they have an answer. And we have other teams that they'll reach a point where they feel like, okay, well, we can't do anything more on this. Let's move on to something else and we'll come back to it. And sometimes, you know, like with anything, sometimes walking away from a problem and coming back to it is kind of the best of, of the solutions. Yeah. I think that comes from experience too. Like the the teams kind of getting used to how things, you know, that's part of the, the strategy of the game. What would you recommend? To... Would... I'm sorry, Stephanie. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I was going to ask, how much time do you recommend that a team spend on, on let's say the the let's say a forty to sixty point quest before before taking that letting allowing themselves to take that break to go to the next one? What what do you think is a good time to say? You know what? Let's just stop right now and do another one, and then we'll come back. Yeah, so so I would say that on average, um, your your kind of medium point quest, your your kind of forty point quests should take somewhere between twenty five minutes to thirty five minutes to complete. That's that's on average. That's how we kind of judge um, how long a game should be. Right? Is is breaking it down, figuring out how long a quest should take. Sometimes 
um, a 60 point quest will take an hour. Um, and sometimes a 60 point quest will only take, you know, 35, 40 minutes, but you've got to collect either a lot of data or you have to unscramble a word, which can take more time, or you need to find all of the elements that we're asking you to look for and it can't be broken any other way. So all of those play into the point value of a quest. Um, but as far as a team knowing when to kind of walk away, it, that's a hard one to judge because like I said, there are teams that just can't. They just, and I am certainly one of those players because hmm. the number of times that Amanda would turn to me and just say, no, 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 let's just, we can't figure this out. Let's just move on. That, which would just wind me up more. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's just how I play. I just, I, I, I want an answer. I want to be able to solve it and move on. I don't want to be, able, I don't, I don't want to skip anything. Um, but there are many times that that hurt us as a team because we didn't just move on. Yeah, I would say probably, I mean, an hour, unless you're, you feel like you're making progress. And you're just, it's slow going. Um, if you haven't really gotten, if you still don't really have much of an idea or you're still struggling after an hour, it's probably a good time to switch to something else and potentially go ask for a hint. Um, yeah, if, that's, if you that's kind of good guidance. So thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like I said, it's, if you're if you're struggling with a main street quest, sometimes just walking into Tomorrowland is enough for you to go. Oh, wait a second! This uh-huh. is for asking. It's not. We, a, I mean, just get out of the area. At Halloween, my team members and I growl whenever we see pumpkins on Main Street. <laughs> 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 and that was a case of overthinking, also. But 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 we laugh because it's all in fun, you know. So when we growl, it's just. It's it, it's that camaraderie that pulls us together, and then every you know, and the other players. Um, Michael, I think you're going to say something, and I think I talked over you. No, that's okay. I was just going to bring up. We've been talking about the parks, playing in the parks, but with the closure of the parks due to the pandemic, you know, you you had to come, you had to adapt, and you came up with options for people to participate in mouse adventures at home. So, can you tell us? You know, how did you come up with those ideas and what are you currently offering? Steph, do you want to do? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, you know, basically it was almost exactly a year ago we had our last event. So we we were really lucky. And, you know, looking back, it's probably like we probably shouldn't have been going, but we, we had an event in Florida. And pretty much right after I got back, everyone in California was, you know, shelter in place kind of descended a few days after we all got back from um from florida and you know we had as it looked as it time moved on and it was pretty clear that we weren't going to be going anywhere anytime soon after you know disneyland was closed um you know we kind of looked at each other and like okay well we were going to have a last year was our 20th anniversary for mouse adventure. So we were going to have a lot of events and we ended up having one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so it was kind of like, okay, well that schedule's uh, out the window. Um, 
And, you know, I think we had, uh, Joe and I had done a, a couple of events um, that were run similar to what Mouse Adventure in a Box is in that um, it was kind of a one-time thing that um, some people had done for like a charity and, you know, you got sent a box of materials and, you know, you solved a bunch of puzzles and there was also like an online portion to, so that you knew your answers were correct. And so, you know, we kind of got thinking, well, we could probably do something like that. Um, you know, and for us, it, it wasn't going to be a fully online thing because generally our, you know, we're, we're still paper and pencil, um, pretty dedicated to that at this point. Um, you know, we enjoy Joe does, he, he likes to do graphic design and he's our, our guru for that. Um, you know, and that kind of differentiate differentiates our, our product from some other people that, um, you know, do, do similar kind of scavenger hunt type events. Um, so, you know, we wanted to, to continue that. And so we came up with the idea, okay, okay what can we put together? Um, so the first one was kind of like, what do we have on hand? Because at that point, you know, you remember a year ago, everyone was like scrounging. What can we, you know, things, the store shelves were bare, you know, everybody was trying to order online, like shipping was who knew when it would arrive um, kind of deal. So we looked through the archives, which is, is Joe's apartment. (laughs) 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 Um, You know, looked at what do we, what kind of materials do we have on hand, you know, that were related to previous events and what can we get in the time period? And so we kind of build stuff around that. Um, and the different thing about the, the box games is that we have, you know, the privilege to use the internet. So normally nobody can use devices for our games and we write them so that, um, you know, you have to be physically there and, and see things in person. Um, so it kind of gave us like, okay, well, we, we have this whole Disney universe, so what can we do? We have, you know, the movies and we have the TV shows and we have, you know, everything under the sun. That's the Disney company. So it was kind of like a great opportunity, but also a little intimidating to sort of come up with ideas and limit our vision about what would be, what would be uh, framing around. They were so cleverly done though. I, I, one of them had us, figuring out and it was Disney related around Los Angeles longitude and latitude. <laughs> and that one was so that one was really cool to do. I mean, among the other ones, there was another one. And I don't want to say what they are in case you, you do it again, but you'll know what I'm talking about. And I think Michael, you were in this one too, the one with the splash mountain and how we had to figure out the answer with that paper. Uh-huh. And and, and, and it's so funny because, like you said, you know, with the materials that, that are available for your team to come up with this clever way to figure out these answers, had us literally saying, how did they do? You know, we say that at the parks all the time. How did they figure this? How did they come up with this idea? And again, we were just so astounded and impressed. And then we get that feeling of accomplishment in using these tools that you give us to figure out these puzzles. 
that's just, it's just, it, I get excited just talking about it. There's one coming up mm -hmm. that's just, I, it's, it's fun, right, Michael? Oh, absolutely. It's fun. It's frustrating. But <laughs> uh, it, it's definitely fun. Do you want to talk about the one that's coming up? Because it's a theme that a lot of really hardcore Disney theme park fanatics are going to find intriguing. <laughs> yeah, so so after we did the the first box and um and it was it was successful well beyond what we had ever imagined um and we kind of uh decided to regroup and say okay well we, i think we can do two more this year um but i i don't know that we're ready to um put a theme around it because that that's another layer of of um complexity and you know and we were still at the time dealing with can i even get these supplies can i you know if i if i get something printed how long is it going to take can i get it in time type of a thing so um when we were doing the research for the second box i came across the whole um theming of c and steph and i well, actually, all four of us um, had taken a trip to Tokyo and uh, at Disney Sea, and um, were completely blown away with the storyline that that Disney had created. And um, then we slowly had seen it kind of spread to the other parks. And so, last summer, I was like, I think I think there's enough here that would be fun to kind of build a box around the, the characters are interesting. People may not know where they, who they are and what their connections are. Um, but I think there's something there. And so we kind of, I kind of blurted that out and then said, but no theming until next year. Hmm. Um, and so right after we finished um, pulling together box three, which was all, um, holiday themed, um, we began tossing around the idea of doing a box that is themed around um, the sea organization. And, uh, and and folks, that's Society of Explorers and Adventurers. Yes. And, and it now reaches into each of the Disney theme parks, into the cruise lines, into water parks, there are small hidden details everywhere. That's um, cool. And so we've had a lot of fun pulling that together and building puzzles based on and based on and around that theming. And that's coming up April twenty fourth. Yeah, that's the so for our box games, we um after the first one, which was like Joe said you know, since we had basically cobbled together our first box and it was very limited and our players were very enthusiastic and crashed our server twice <laughs> trying to register. Um, so as we, you know, it was a learning experience for everyone, uh, especially because we, we, you know, we had to build the website and we had to do everything from nothing, right? Um, so we now have two levels. So we have the competitive version, which, um, it's not necessarily more 
harder puzzles, but it's the, it's for the people that are are you know into the head to head sort of competitive spirit of who can be done first. And it's um, timed, right? Right. I mean, so we keep track limit. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's on April twenty fourth, and basically what it is is the four of us are on. It's like the longest Zoom meeting ever. <laughs> so we're all we're on Zoom together. The four all, all the four of us on Zoom for like eight hours, um, and we have like a live hint. So we have a little chat that people can get hints. So it's like virtual Mouse Adventure Central to get your hints. Um, so we have that for the the competitive day, the competitive version, and then they have that's the only live. And then after that, you can kind of like you can email us your questions, and we'll get back to you. Um, you have about two weeks and, um, that's the timed version. And then, so that's April 24th. And then we also have an on your own time, which is for the people that are just in it to have fun and, you know, they can be competitive within themselves, but we'll have built in hints online so that if you get stuck, we have a few hints that'll kind of help, hopefully help guide you to the answer. Um, but we are not always constantly available 24 <laughs> seven. Um, because all of us actually have other jobs <laughs> that we do. <laughs> we, have, uh, we love this and we enjoy it, but we all, it's, we don't make enough to, uh, all be paid enough to make a living yeah. in it. So. And last year too, you had little monthly puzzles that people could grab off your website Those were fun. and just have fun with. Yeah, so so as Steph said, last year was our 20th anniversary, and we wanted to do something special. So at the end of 2019, we had kind of gotten together and said, okay, what does our calendar look like for next year? We want to do this many events, and we want to do, you know, we want to try this, and we want to try that. And one of the things that came up was, oh, let's do a free puzzle once a month on the 20th. Um, and we'll do 12 of them. We'll do it throughout the year. Um, one of the things that we get asked the most about, especially from new teams, is what are the puzzles like? How difficult is it? Can I look at one? Can I see one? And so this gave the, gave our longtime players something fun to do each month and new players an ability to kind of experience what the puzzle portion of it is like um, without playing the game. And those puzzles are still available, right? If people haven't played them? They are still available. Um, every now and then something will break and we'll put up a little notice on the page to let team to let players know that, you know, the wording of this now has to change because or, you know, give an answer to one of the questions type of a thing. But yes, they are still all up there and all available. Okay, and I think that one's mouseadventure.com slash MA202020. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and now, so for people who want to ex exercise their brains and with some fun Disney puzzles. Now, over the 20 years of observing or moderating mouse adventures, have you gained any insights into human behavior? <laughs> 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 Uh, um, yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, 
you know, we, we talk about a lot, the comparisons between the teams that play in California and the teams that play in Florida is, um, is hysterical to us. The Disneyland teams are very competitive, extremely competitive. Hmm. Um, Disney World is much more laid back. We have teams that are competitive, but not to the level that they are at Disneyland. Um, but like I said before, a lot of it is we have learned we have learned the body language and the um, the visual cues of when a team is frustrated or spinning out of control or um, fr- uh, beyond frustrated and just want just want to move on. And we all know because we all we all enjoy playing puzzle, you know, working on puzzles. We all know that, like, like I said, you want that aha moment that I did it, you know, that feeling of success and, uh, and knowing how to give enough information so that they still have that reward, I think is, is a big part of it. Um, in terms of, of other things, it's like, we, we also learn, like, there, there are teams, and, and I mean, we love all of our teams, but there are teams that when they're in game mode, they're in game mode. They don't want to fool around. They just want to play the game, which is totally fine. And there are teams that just kind of like to, to fool around and have fun, and, and we, we will joke and kid around with them um, as appropriate. Uh, but um, you, we learned early on that you don't you don't kid around with a team that is ultra competitive and there to play. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Also, I think you learn. We've learned that no matter how many different ways we can try to word something, someone will go down a rabbit hole that we did not perceive. <laughs> yeah. I, I've never been guilty of doing I think that. We've done that. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, where I think are you going? Like Joe mentioned, why are they going on Star Tours? Like <laughs> I, I can't even remember what game that was, but um or, or there was one game I think I was that, literally halfway through a hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> and we We're Joe that's what? another Joe is not allowed to eat hot dogs because of <laughs> that like there's a superstition joe can't eat a hot dog because something will break <laughs> something will happen something will happen. um but yeah i remember there was one game there was one game where i think it was on main street and one team was just you know it's kind of like they were spinning and they're like well maybe it's the phone and so they picked up the phone and they were listening to the phone and then a cue <laughs> started to form behind because the other teams oh look they're listening to the phone <laughs> and so, there's just like a queue of people at the and like there's nothing with the phone why are you all <laughs> through the phone so sometimes yeah that'll happen that's we just really funny. don't know <laughs> I, you guys have done so many adventures is there any one for for both of you that one of the puzzles that you were responsible for creating that you either had this inner mischievous smile that you knew was going to drive people crazy or one that you're super proud of doing just because of the outcome and, and how the players played it or how clever. 
That's a good question. I don't know. I have one. Okay, go ahead. So at at Disneyland, generally there are two divisions. There's an advanced, there's a, there's a basic and there's an advanced and advanced generally has um, two or three additional quests that are more difficult and have less instruction. So um, I had come up with this puzzle using Lego bricks. Um, You had to put, you got a bunch of pieces and there was this long explanation of how to read the coding on one side of the brick so that you knew how to put them together to decode a, a question. And I mean, each brick had to be individually labeled and it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but we did it. We got it all together, put them all into baggies. The, the day of the game comes, we station somebody at that location with all the Lego bricks and I turn around to grab the instructions and we don't have the instructions. They just never got produced. And um, I don't exactly remember how the how the format of the game went that day, but somehow the teams knew where to go and get whatever their next puzzle was. And I was like, well, I I don't know what we do here because I, there are no instructions. So their advanced teams are going to have to figure it out. And so we did. We hand them a little baggie of Lego bricks and good luck. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and I was thrilled to find out after the game that not only were the teams able to do it, but they still talk about it as being one of their favorite puzzles because they got no instruction at all. They just got these bricks. That's so that pretty cool. A fun one for me. Yeah, it is amazing. I remember yeah. seeing people walking around with those baggies of bricks, and we were like, "Yeah, that's yeah, the that's advanced team. team. <laughs> <laughs> those are the advanced team." <laughs> I guess I've written I've probably written more for Florida um, one I can think of that was a recent one I probably have more if I go back through um, but we when we did the event at Animal Kingdom which is one of my favorite parks and Joe will grumble but I love Animal Kingdom <laughs> that's my favorite uh, park at Walt Disney World I did a couple there that I was pretty proud of um so one was uh, in the um, Discovery Island area at the um, the barbecue place. Mm-hmm. You know, there's those like eating pavilions around the, the water. And as we were going around riding, I was like, hey, you know, all of these animals in the pavilions, like one is the predator and one is the prey. And everyone else is like, what? <laughs> Actually, recently, I think it was last year or something, Joe Rohde had posted something to his Instagram about that. I was like, CC, I was Because, <laughs> of course, we all yeah. look at Steph going, you're making this up. Like, no, no, it really is. <laughs> no, it's the anteater and the ants and the fish and the bird that eats the fish. And, yeah, so we did we did a whole puzzle around that with, you know, you had to match match up um we took like zoomed in photos of the of each of the animals, and so they had to match them up across, and um, make a form out the question. Um, and then my other one in that same game in Animal Kingdom was um, over in the um, 
the uh, Anandapur area in Asia, all the buildings have these like plaques on them, which are um, like registration plaques for the business. But just like, like, you know, they're all, it's all theming, so it's not real. But I guess that's actually something that businesses in, in this part of the world, you know, they have these little, it gives information about the business and when they were registered, when they were established and things like that. So, you know, I used all the numbers from those to create a, a quest from, but it was, it was kind of fun just because it was one of those things that's like, that's there, but you don't necessarily notice it because it's just kind of in, in the background. Yeah, it's I a creative way of, go ahead, Michael. No, I was just thinking, you all must have been doing the New York Times crossword puzzle when you were like five years old. <laughs> to think this way. <laughs> I do it every day. <laughs> uh, Mary Jo, what were you going to say? Shut, uh, nothing important. Oh. <laughs> it, it slipped my mind, but it wasn't important. Oh, sorry. But now, do you have, when the parks finally really open, do you have a mouse adventure already ready that's just ready to roll for a we, park? We don't. So, um, like Steph said, we we had just returned from Walt Disney World, and I think we went into shelter in place about a week and a half after that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very quick. And the Disneyland game, I believe, so that was in March. I believe the Disneyland game was set and ready to go for uh, late May, if I remember correctly. Um, so that was a situation where we were going to have to hit the ground running. And literally, I, I think we, I think Chris and I were planning to be at the park that next weekend when they closed it. So that would have been the start of our writing weekend. Now, uh-uh. as I said, we wander through the parks and we come up with ideas. So I do have a little list of ideas that we had come up with. So it shouldn't be, we, we're not starting from zero. <laughs> but I don't have we don't have any puzzles and then you know the the other thing is that some of the some of the um, some of the puzzle ideas that we had for that ended up getting incorporated into the mouse adventure in a box um, puzzles so the in a box games gives us an opportunity to test out new formats um, and new ideas in a way that we haven't been able to before. Oh, so there, there, there has been opportunity <laughs> just yeah. despite the pandemic. Yeah. So, so, so how can our listeners learn more about Mouse Adventures and how do they go up? How do they sign up for one for a Mouse Adventure in a Box or even at the park when, when that happens someday? Yeah, the best way to do that is we have a newsletter. So if you go to mouseadventure.com um, and the newsletter page specifically is is massiveventure.com slash newsletter. Um, you sign up for our email newsletter and we won't flood you with emails. Um, but basically that's how we communicate when we have an event coming up. So that's, we also have, you know, a Facebook page and we have Instagram and we're on Twitter, but the newsletter is really the best way to make sure that um, you get notified about when registration is coming up for you know the different events and obviously once we get going again we'll be very excited to announce (laughs) when we can all be back in a park uh together but it's gonna be it's gonna take some time i think 
you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, obviously Florida is open, but it's still, you know, limited. The the numbers are limited. Um, You know, when California reopens, it's going to be a low percentage of a normal attendance. So, you yeah, know, I think that would be challenging, right? Get yeah, oh, absolutely. Just, we unless the mass has an <laughs> Yeah, we can't pl- necessarily plan to have a big event. Um, so, but but the newsletter is the best way to go. Um, also, we do sell. We call them vacation packs on um, on our third gate game shop online, and um, those you can just it's we send we mail you a packet. Um, like you would receive on a game day and you can just do them on your own time at the parks. So that would be one way. Like if you do end up going to the theme parks, um, you know, when they reopen um, to get a, like kind of put your toe in the water for mass adventure and see mm-hmm. if it's, it's your thing. Um, what parks do you have those for? We have them for all of them. Uh, so we have we have for Florida all four Florida parks and also for California Adventure and for Disneyland. Oh, um, you even have a Adventure toolkit. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> we do try to uh, keep them up to date. So obviously, I mean that's one of our biggest challenges is that we we always emphasize that parks are dynamic places. Um, so things can change and have overnight in some cases for us <laughs> where we checked. The day before, and literally the Indian has disappeared overnight from in Florida, the the cigar store Indian on uh, in Frontierland. <laughs> or they <laughs> paint someone... the change machine, yeah. <laughs> yes, or they paint the machine. So uh, you know, obviously we, we do our best to keep them up to date, but sometimes things can can a sign can be moved, or you know something um, can be changed. So you know, we'll have to double check those once we all can get back in the parks. Um. Well, I, I think Mouse Adventures is a lot of fun. And um, and I know, Mary Jo, you, you love Mouse Adventures. So. I do. I, I just want to give a, a couple of shout-outs, of course, to the Green Boa Divas and to all the Divas that play, but also to the Master Teams that you guys can explain more who the Master Teams are, but don't they help don't they volunteer during the games because they're the ones that um, kind of make sure that we're, we're being safe in the parks. I'll put it that way. They're taking pictures of everybody and they help you test your games, I think. Yes. Yeah, so, so once a team, once any team takes first place three times, they are considered masters and they're retired from competition and they're then allowed to play whenever they would like at any of our um, park games um, for free. But generally those are the teams that are super competitive. And without that, uh, without that drive during the game, they tend to enjoy it less. Um, And so what we've done is we will utilize them to help either beta test a game or assist with us on game day to do, you know, crowd control and watching for teams and uh, doing the photos, that kind of stuff. Nothing that's um, team interactive for the most part, um, but the the kind of extra set of eyes out there, which can be helpful. 
Um, and that was uh, that was something that was that had been instituted years and years ago. Um, we're now up to a pretty good sized list of master teams. We need to uh, we need to revisit that and kind of update our web pages so that they're they're acknowledged on our web pages. But but yeah, we love our masters teams. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I highly recommend our listeners sign up for a mouse adventure and. If you want, if if you go to the parks all the time and you and you want to just have a different experience in the park, and but still have that, you know, but still have that Disney touch to it, this is the way to go. Something really yeah. unique, something fun. Don't let it get to you. <laughs> so, um, and um, but it, it's it's a lot of fun, and so I highly recommend you sign up for Mouse Adventures. Yes, Mary yeah, Jo. And, uh, thank you, Michael. Sorry about that. The, the Mouse Adventure in a Box, I think, is a fantastic way to, to, to see what the game is about, especially since if you do the non-competitive. Because you, having like a nominal um, experience with Disneyland, like, you know, we're, we all consider ourselves to be, you know, we're always at the parks, etc. But even if you don't, for those of, of you who don't go to the parks all the time, because we can use Google to find the information, that's also so much fun because we learn so much about just all different kinds of aspects of Disney just because of what Third Gate Games does to put these games together for us. Yeah, I was, I gotta say, I was, um, I was concerned about doing Mouse Adventure in a Box. We have, um, for many years now, we've talked about you know, should we do an app? Is that something that we should look at? Would teams enjoy using a phone while they're in the parks? Um, we've done small test games um, where we've used technology in the parks to see how that could work and what the enjoyment level is. And for the most part, our teams don't care for it. I mean, the, the one thing that teams kind of continuously tell us is, you know, we like not being in our device when we're in the park. We're fine to be in, you know, in front of a piece of paper with a pencil and my teammates, and that's it. Um, and so doing something that was online, uh, A, I think it necessitated having the box and getting the paper and the tangible objects that you can play with. And I think that that allows it to be more mouse adventure-like. Um and then for those teams that like the competition aspect to do something that's live, where even if you can't see the other teams, you know, they're out there playing. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I think that that, uh, that lends itself well to, uh, to this new world that we're living in. Mm -hmm. uh, and so yeah. I'm happy to hear that, that you've enjoyed them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it lets us use, use also stuff that we could do in the parks. Yes, scissors. Able like to get scissors. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey. That's right. We can't run with scissors in the parks. No. We can't. Yeah, we, yes, we've, we've had issues with even one time there was some a game that involved xylophones, toy xylophones, um, that were rejected at the gate by uh, security. Why are you bringing xylophones? In? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny um, well I'm looking forward to April 24th I know you are too Mary Jo oh, yes. and, um, and 
for the next mouse adventure in a box. I hope those of you who are listening, is it too late, Stephanie and Joe, for folks to sign up for the next mouse adventure in a box, the April one? So uh, we're, we're recording this a little bit beforehand. Um, today is actually the last day of registration officially. Um, depending on what our, how we need to place our orders for, um, for the elements that are inside the box, um, we may open up registration one more time a little bit later. So I would say check the website, see if, see if it's open. And if we had a few more, if we were able to, to create a few more boxes. Um, and yeah, and that's kind of the best way right now. Okay, great. Um, and and then and if they sign up for the newsletter. I was just going to say that if they sign up for the newsletter, they'll hear if it's yeah. opened up again. Or at least hear about the next mouse adventure in the box. Exactly. And you can get in early on that one. So, well, Stephanie and Joe, thank you for taking the time to come on Connecting with Walt and tell us about Third Gate Games and Mouse Adventure. This is but, fascinating. Thank and, you so uh, much. It was fun to, to yeah. chat. It was, yeah, it was it, fun. We miss talking to our players. Uh, we, we love chatting. And, and we, we do miss that aspect of it with the at-home yeah. games. So. Yeah. And Mary Jo, thank you for coming on to share your Mouse Adventure tips and experiences. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed talking to them too. Yeah, absolutely. It was really hard not asking for pointers. <laughs> oh, I thought when you started asking, how long should we be on a, oh, oh, Mary Jo, you're treading there on thin ice, I yeah. think. Well, and, and Mary Jo, we, we have teams that, that they've got a little, they carry around a little spreadsheet with them. And when the game starts, they mark their time. And if they're half if they're a half hour into a quest, one of their members will say, "We got to move on. We've got another quest to do." That's great. Like they're down to the minute. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, their spreadsheet has by land, so they write in which quest is in which land. Well, we might have yeah, to do that. Resumes. Well, thank you again so much for being on the show. And, share, and sharing a new way to, ex for a lot of our listeners, a new way to experience mm -hmm. and have fun together in the Disney parks or at home. And now we're going to have our own adventure through this week in Disney history. Okay, Craig, we're in the week of March 21st. And a lot of things happened in film this week. Mm -hmm. So... Anyway, all right. So, actress Goldie Hawn and future life partner of Disney actor Kurt Russell made her film debut in this Walt Disney film released on March 21st, 1968. What is the title of this film? Oh, man. I... Her, her first debut. I, mm -hmm. I don't think I know the answer to this. Yeah, I'm not sure if I've even seen this. Uh, the one and only genuine original family band. It's a musical film from Walt Disney Productions based on a biography by Laura Bauer Van Nuys. And it debuted at Radio City Music Hall in New York City. It, I, I think I have seen it, but I can't remember if it's the songs I'm remembering or if I've seen this. 
but it's set against the backdrop of the 1888 presidential election, and the film portrays the musically talented Bauer family, American pioneers who settle in the Dakota Territory. And the cast includes Walter Brennan, Buddy Epson, John Davidson, Leslie Ann Warren, Kurt Russell. So maybe this must have been where they met. Um, Richard Deacon, Wally Cox, John Walmsley, and Goldie Hawn. The film features nine songs written by Richard and Robert Sherman. It was originally intended to run 156 minutes. And Radio City requested 20 minutes of cuts. So... Walt responded by cutting the film to 110 minutes. I'm almost positive we have discussed this film because yeah. I think we got into the whole controversy of those cuts. Yeah, we, and, we definitely have talked about it before, but I I don't think I ever got around to watching it, even if it was for like a Treasures from the Disney Vault. See, I that's why we talked about it. It's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, it's yeah. that has to be it. I know. I mean, we've talked about it. We we definitely talked about it. So I am looking it up just to yeah. And and the whole it's a whole controversy of of you know the Dakotas becoming states and you know and all that kind of stuff and it's splitting and it, I think it covers that era. Yeah, it, uh, I just don't remember if I've seen it. Isn't that terrible? I well, no, because I'm I'm confused <laughs> by it too. It was on Treasures from the Disney Vault back in 2018 on the March 29th lineup. It was it was one of the uh, the late night features. Okay, well then, if I didn't record it, <laughs> I didn't <laughs> see it. So anyway, so yeah, I probably yeah I don't know. And I, I, if it had ever been on Disney Channel, because you know in the early days of Disney Channel, they were showing. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. I mean, stuff that we're only dreaming of having on Disney Channel. Um, so I might might have seen it way back then. So anyway, okay, March twenty second. The Wonderful World of Disney presents Disneyland Showtime, featuring the Osmond Brothers, Kurt Russell again. Kids of the Kingdom, The Sound Castle, and The Dapper Dans on March 22nd, 1970. Which attraction is featured in this episode? That would be the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, open since 19, uh, August of 1969. That's right, is the setting for this television overview of the park's musical attractions. Either we talk about this one or you give me this question every year, but I will it's probably a little of both. <laughs> yeah, I will always say it, though. It's this was of all the Disneyland television episodes there. In this case, Wonderful World of Disney episodes I ever watched on on Disney Channel. This is like one of the most special ones, because when I was watching it, I remember my dad sitting down and saying, yeah, I remember watching this when it actually debuted. All those years mm-hmm. ago, and watched. So it do live. I. Yeah. Yeah. So do I. <laughs> um, March twenty third, actor Fred McMurray's seventh and final live action film for the Walt Disney Studio was released on March twenty third, nineteen seventy three. What is the title of the film? Hmm. And I know I have not seen this one. If you haven't seen it, then there's a very good chance I don't even know the name of it. So I'm going to... I'm just going to ask you what the answer is. 
Okay, it's Charlie and the Angel, starring Fred <laughs> McMurray, Cloris Leachman, Harry Morgan, and Kurt Russell. <laughs> and it's set during the Depression. I should have said this is Kurt Russell week. It's, this film is set during the Depression. It's a crotchety and frugal shopkeeper named Charlie, who's played by Fred McMurray. And he's visited by an angel, who's Harry Morgan, and uh, who shows him what will happen if he doesn't change the error of his ways. It was nominated for a Golden Globe. It's almost like uh, the, oh, um, oh, what's the Christmas show? And I can never think of the 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 film. It, it, it's, oh, you know, with... Um, oh, Wonderful Life. Oh, it's a Wonderful Yeah, it's life. a Wonderful Life. Thank I you. always want to call it something else. Yeah, I was it, thinking, what, what one is it too? And yeah, it just hit me <laughs> over the head. Yeah, it, uh, it it has that theme almost. Yeah, it's uh, but in I, reverse. Kind of. Yeah. No, I I mean I've never seen this. It sounds awesome. I mean I love obviously Kurt Russell and Cloris Leachman, but this I I've never even heard of this movie. So I, to see, I wonder if it's on DVD or something. Yeah, maybe, know. maybe that's a good one yeah. to look up though. Yeah. Charlie's Angels, right? I'm joking. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. And it, it and it's um. Uh, Farrah Fawcett making her film debut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I think it's available on iTunes for two ninety nine. So. Oh, okay. It might be worth. Yeah, I think it's worth three dollars to see this lineup. I don't know. So. It's got a thirty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So, <laughs> well, is that the critics or is that the audience? Because sometimes the audience ratings on Rotten Tomatoes don't chive yeah, with the critics. That is the critical one, but we'll, we'll have to watch it, and then maybe uh, yeah. we'll, we'll come back to this conversation later. Yeah. Okay, March 24th. What Disneyland attraction opened in Tomorrowland on March 24th, 1956? It was a forerunner of today's Astro Orbiter. Oh, um, uh, Astro Jets. Correct. Very good. They went through a few names, so it's hard to know. It's good. You know, knew the first one. Okay. I I know the first one, and I know the last one. <laughs> oh, they, they were Tomorrowland Jets for a while. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay. All right. March 25th. Walt Disney is awarded four Oscars at the 1953 Academy Awards on March 25th, 1954. What makes this noteworthy? I'm I'm gonna take a guess on this one, and say that I'm gonna say that it was the first time a single person ever won that many awards. Exactly, first time one individual has won four Oscars in a single year. So what what won for in the short subjects cartoon category? To Disney's Toot, Whistle, Plunk, and Boom, which was the first cartoon distributed by Buena Vista. Then Disney's True Life Adventure, Bear Country, went the Oscar for short subjects, Too Real, which beat out Disney's Ben and Me. And then the Disney RKO, The Alaskan Eskimo, is awarded for documentary short subject. And the True Life Adventure, The Living Desert, wins for documentary feature. So a lot, a of, lot of categories back in the day for documentaries. Yeah. yeah. Okay, March twenty sixth, 
You'll Be In My Heart, written and produced by Phil Collins from the Disney feature Tarzan, wins an Oscar for Best Song at the 72nd Academy Awards, hosted by Billy Crystal on March 26, 1999. Who makes an animated appearance presenting the award for Best Animated Short Film to The Old Man and the Sea? I mean, it's obviously going to be something Disney or Disney related. Maybe Pixar related. And so... Hmm. In 99, that would have been... Well, you said this was 2000. So, movies that came out in 99. So, Toy Story 2 would have been out in 99. 98 was a bug's life. No, it's, on, it's on March 26, 1999. March 26, 1999? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm not sure. You were you there on the right track. It's Buzz Lightyear and Sheriff Woody. And Sarah McLaughlin and Randy Newman perform When She Loved Me from the movie Toy Story 2. Okay, well, I had my, I, I had my thinking in the right place, just not, not everything lined up. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and finally, March twenty seventh, March twenty seventh, nineteen ninety nine, Disneyland announced that it acquired a new locomotive, Disneyland Railroad Engine Number no. Five, which will be decade, dedicated under the name Ward Kimball in Ward's honor. And you've, in recent episodes, you've heard the history of this in, yes. in our week, this week in Disney history segments. The newly acquired engine is currently undergoing restoration and will have custom paintings of which Disney character by Mr. Kimball on either side of the headlamp. I'm not sure. Chimney Cricket. I don't think I've ever seen. Yeah, you have to look for it. But yeah, yeah it's there. I've looked for it huh. when, I've, when I've been in the park. Well, I have something to look forward to. Do you look for, look for Chimney Cricket Yeah. next when you visit Disneyland now that it's opening up and watch Charlie and Me. Yeah, I got a lot of homework <laughs> this week. <laughs> you too. Or Charlie and the Angel, I should say. Yeah. Charlie's <laughs> Angels and Me. <laughs> that, that sounds like in the 70s or 80s, whenever that show was on, it sounds like a high schooler's dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Craig, sometime you and I, when they have a mouse adventure out at the park, you and I, in, in Florida, you and I, if I'm out there, you and I should sign up for a mouse adventure. Oh, yeah, one day. Uh, I even, I'll just say, when they were talking a little bit about Walt Disney World, I was like, I hope I can sit here and say I know exactly what they're talking about. And uh, that, they had me thinking twice about stuff here, like, I don't think I've actually ever noticed that before. So, oh, uh, they notice details. Yeah, that uh, you know, no, diehards, people who scrutinize that park wouldn't notice, or they wouldn't put together s- all of this in order to create something else. Yep. You know, to unravel and and figure out in these puzzles. 
I mean, it is absolutely amazing. I mean, you have to come equipped with your little kit. I think Mary Jo might have mentioned toolkit in passing, but I, it's right here next to me. <laughs> it, it's a special uh, clipboard that, you know, it's that has storage in it. And you have a ruler in there, a protractor, colored pencils, a pencil, highlighters, and all kinds of stuff because you just never know what you might need for the different puzzles. That's wild. And I, I do think I have the little, you know, blunt end scissors. I think I do have a pair of those as well <laughs> in there. So, um, yeah, it's fun. So I'll have to look into those on your own ones that yeah. you can order. Those might be fun. Maybe when I come out to Florida and see you, I can bring one of those along. <laughs> so I uh, wanted to thank everyone who um, shared their support um, on Facebook or sent me messages on the anniversary of Carol's passing that was this past week, uh, second anniversary of her passing. And again, longtime listeners to The Diz um, know Carol because she would appear on the Disneyland show that I talked about a couple of weeks ago on its 10th anniversary, that, which is where I got my start on the Diz. And Carol would be part of the ladies show on that with Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Mulata Willie, sometimes Luella, who I'm not even going to try to say her last name, and um, Loriella. Loriola, yep. Thank you. Oh, I did get it right this time. And, and Carol would all be on. And Carol would be sitting at the exact same place I'm sitting at right now, but she had her own headphones because she didn't like mine. And... Um, Anyway, and uh, yeah, so, and it, it's always such a blessing that I can go back and listen to those shows. And even two years ago, Craig, you played one of those shows here on Connecting with Walt. Yeah. For folks. So I, I just feel it's, I'm so lucky to be able to go back and just listen to her talk that it wasn't, you know, she wasn't into photos and videos and stuff. So I really don't have a lot of videos or anything of her, but. This is more just Carol talking, being very natural and being herself. And you really, I think, get more of a glimpse of, of who she was. Exactly. And um, listening, just listening to her chat on those shows. I'm just very fortunate that those, um, that she lives on in the Diz and in those shows. Exactly. A, a snapshot, uh, a fully fleshed out snapshot of of a time in her life and unlike a photo or you know any any other memory in that way it's it's uh it's something else it's it's something special that you're you're very lucky to have uh absolutely and uh, and i have the diz you know pete werner tom bell you know to thank mm-hmm. that i have that that my family will always have that so Anyway, and you know, um, out here in California, we are we, you know, in our um, tears rainbow of doom that we have, we we slipped down to one where things are starting to reopen in our counties, surrounding counties here. So I'm actually heading back to the Walt Disney Family Museum if all goes as planned on Saturday. They're opening their exhibition hall again, and so the the long awaited. Um, Walt Disney Studios and World War II exhibition will be opening. It's actually opening this week. The museum isn't opening, the main museum, except, of course, for the gift shop. But um, So I have my, my ticket, and it, it's um, you do have to reserve tickets online, and they are limiting the number of people in the exhibition hall. 
and they have COVID protocols about wearing masks and social distancing and all that. But uh, I'm looking forward to just um, getting back to see the museum again. Man, this but, is so much fun. I'm so happy that's yeah. happening for you. Me too. I just realized, but gee, you know, I'll be hungry and I don't know if there's any place to eat around there. And what I learned last week when I drove to San Francisco and back, <laughs> how few bathrooms are open on that drive between San Francisco and Sacramento? Because uh, at the time, in the, in the counties I was driving through, they were more shut down. So nothing was open for indoor dining, which meant the bathrooms were closed. So that was a challenge. Yeah. So I, I, that's a pickle. (laughs) Yeah. I found a pet food store that was open that had a bathroom. (laughs) I was driving. I was driving. It's almost like you you need to get a trailer and uh, hitch a, hitch a Porta John on the back. And, and that way you'll be able to have your own private bathroom when you you need to stop. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I'm sure I'll be talking about the exhibit on a future episode and all that. And uh, maybe, I don't know if they'll allow photos, but if they do, I mean, I'll take some and post them to my Facebook page that I'll mention in just a moment. Yeah. So anyway, but it's just so nice that we're finally starting to get back to, I don't know, some semblance of, I don't know, I don't know if normal's the right word, but... You know, in California, we've been so locked down. It's nice that we're able to go out and about a little more while still taking precautions. All that. Yeah, I mean, I've never been normal, so I don't. <laughs> I don't think I can ever return to normal since I haven't ever been there to begin with. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I like saying returning back to more familiar times. Yes, that's good. That's a good way of saying it. Okay, well, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on the different shows on the Disunplugged Podcast Network, and then always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. And you can email me, Craig, at WDWinfo.com. What about you, Michael? You can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm MichaelBowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm MichaelBowlingTheDiz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disunplug.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs>